You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, good morning. Um, they're firing up the lawnmowers behind us, but are you guys good? Okay, as long as you can hear, I'm going to try to tune out the lawnmowers. So it's a good morning for mowing the grass, though. I think a better morning for coming to church, but uh, I'm glad that you guys, are all, you guys are all here this morning. I do have my, uh, my, my sweat rag, my handkerchief here, thanks to Steven Eisenberg. After my whole life, I've carried Kleenex in my pocket, and Steven earlier this year was like, why don't you use a handkerchief? So Steven and I use handkerchiefs, and I have those in my back pocket. Very grateful for that. Well, good morning. Again, my name is Ricky, and I'm grateful to be able to serve as your pastor for discipleship and care. And if you've been coming this summer or been watching online, you know we're in the middle of a summer series in which all of our sermons are considering the theme of being conformed to the image of God's Son, Jesus. And the focus today in thinking about being conformed to the image of God's Son, Jesus, we're going to be focusing on contentment. And our passage this morning is going to be from the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 6, verses 3 through 16. So focusing on contentment, 1 Timothy, chapter 6, verses 3 through 16. And this text reminds me, whenever I was studying it, I kept, something kept came, coming to mind. And that something is, is a show that our family really loves, and I trust a show that many of you probably love as well. And that's the Andy Griffith Show. And if you have Amazon Prime, I encourage you to go home and to check out episode 6, from season two of the Andy Griffith Show. It's entitled Obi, uh, Opie's Hobo Friend. Has anyone, does anyone remember the episode about Opie's Hobo Friend? Okay, I see a few hands in the back. Good, good. I knew these guys would like the Andy Griffith Show in the back. Well, in this episode, Opie meets a friend who is a hobo, and this hobo teaches Opie to do things he shouldn't do. And this hobo also teaches Opie to not do things that he should do. And whenever it comes to money, we find that this hobo, well, he's dependent on getting from others what he does not have. And meanwhile, this hobo brags about how he doesn't have money and he doesn't have to carry money. But we actually see that this hobo is driven by this craving of dishonest gain from others in his life. Well, this show, this episode offers some great quotes and it also gives us some very valuable lessons. When it comes to work, the hobo says that he'll go ahead and get started tomorrow. First thing tomorrow. He says that it's the most perfect day to start any job. Tomorrow. The most marvelous day that was ever invented. While there's nothing a man can't do. Tomorrow. Well, Opie decides to follow in the hobo's ways, especially when it comes to cleaning his room. And he says he'll just do it tomorrow. And Andy decides it's time to pay this new friend of Opie's a visit. And he goes and visits the man, and he talks about Opie's newfound way of thinking whenever it comes to work. And this hobo, he admits, he says, yeah, um, I do look at things differently than other people. The hobo, he says that, well, he lives by his wits, and he's not above bending the law now and again because he doesn't think it's wrong. The hobo says that as long as he can keep clothes on his back and food in his stomach, he doesn't see anything wrong with it. Matter of fact, the hobo says, I think a lot of people would like to live the way I lived if only they had the courage to do so. And then the hobo looks at Andy and he says, maybe this is the way Opie should live. Maybe he will like this way of living better than he likes your way of living. The hobo says, maybe you should let Opie, Opie decide for himself. And that's when Andy looks up at the hobo and he changes his tone a bit and he says, uh, no, I'm afraid it don't work that way. You can't let a youngin decide for himself. He'll grab at the first shiny thing with ribbons on it. 
And then when he finds that there's a hook in it, it's too late. The wrong ideas come packaged with so much glitter, it's hard to convince them that other things might be better in the long run. And all a parent can do is say, wait, trust me, and try to keep temptation away. I think Opie get, uh, Andy gives a good lesson, some good words of advice here. And while the hobo didn't hop a train from Ephesus to Mayberry, long before 1961, when episode six of season two was released, there was a city called Ephesus. And there was a man there named Timothy who had received a letter from Paul, the letter you're, oh, you have opened in your Bible. And Paul knew that there were also people in Ephesus who were teaching the children of God wrong ways of living. You see, the hobo was teaching Obi, Opie that you could take cherry pies from windows, you can, you can take chickens from coops, but you had people in Ephesus who were teaching that you could make a dishonest gain by using religion. Like any loving father would do, Timothy, who's Paul's son in the faith, receives a letter from Paul teaching Timothy how to help the people in Ephesus recognize these false teachers and how they should flee the temptations. While we're not in Ephesus or Mayberry, it's, it's not the 60s today, it's definitely not the mid-1960s, dealing with covetousness, dealing with greed, dealing with these kinds of things is something that we all have to deal with. From Adam and Eve to Ananias and Sapphira to the hobo and to you and I today, we all have to deal with choosing to covet or to be content. And the Lord is putting before us today a way to learn how to be content in a discontented world. And that's the main point I want you to get today. And the title of this sermon is learning to be content in a discontented world. Learning to be content in a discontented world. Looking at 1 Timothy chapter 6, let's begin with verse 3. And we're going to read through verse 5. Verse 3. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy and dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. So here in verses 3 through 5, Paul is looking back at something he has taught all through chapter 5. And Paul has been talking about relationships within the church. Timothy teach these things of how people ought to relate with one another in the church, whether it be with, with older ladies, older men, whether it be with younger people, whether it be with elders, whether it be for serv dealing with servants. Timothy is to teach the people how to interact with one another. But Paul knows that the hobo has come into town. And the false teachers are there, and they're stirring up discontentment among the people with their words. And they're contradicting the way that Timothy, the way the church should be interacting with one another. And Paul wants the children of God to be warned. And Paul tips us off, telling us this is how you can know if someone is giving false teaching. Paul's saying you need to be careful who you listen to. So how do you learn to be content in a discontented world? First point. Be careful who you listen to. Might you this morning have a sense of discontentment in your heart, whatever area it might be? Maybe it's because of the voices you're listening to. Think about it. Are you discontent? Who is it you're listening to in your life? Whether it be discontentment in your relationships, whether it be through your finances, or maybe even in your church. Who is it you're listening to? 
Is it the voice of the Lord? Because no, no doubt, all discontentment isn't bad. It can be God's way sometimes of nudging us toward a needed change. So not only do we need to be careful about who we listen to, sometimes to help us understand, we need to also ask what it is they are saying. Is what you're hearing that's causing you to be discontent, does it contradict the words of the Bible? Does it go against the words of Christ as we read in verse 3? Be careful who you're listening to. Are there teachings urging you, spurring you on to Christ-likeness? If not, then in verse 4, we can know that their teachings are not of the Lord, but they're coming from someone else who's ignorant, and they're blind by their arrogance, and they're the first ones who will tell you it's not so. These people have an unhealthy craving for controversies and quarrels about words which produce envy and dissension and slander and evil suspicions and constant friction among the people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. They're using godliness as gain. Does this describe maybe how you feel in some relationships you may have? Do you want to learn contentment in a discontented world? Then be careful who you listen to and not only ask what it who you're listening to, but also ask what they're saying. Are their teachings prioritizing your godliness over their agenda? That's something we have to ask. If not, then it sounds like you might have a false teacher in your life. Be careful who you listen to. Let's look at verses 6 through 10. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So Paul here, he's telling Timothy that these false teachers are usually using godliness as a means of gain. But then Paul seems to kind of contradict himself because he, then he says to Timothy that godliness is a means of gain causing us to lean in a bit to help us understand what's the difference here. And thankfully, Paul elaborates. You see, the false teachers, they're using their godliness as a means for financial gain. And let me tell you, you know that you don't have to scroll too far. You don't have to look too far. You don't have to flip through too many channels before you find this is still something that happens today. But you see, they're fooled. They're using godliness as a gain, as, as a gain for material wealth. But material gain is consumable. But spiritual gain is eternal. You see, spiritual gain comes through godliness, but with contentment. You see, Paul isn't just warning us of the false teachers. That he is doing, warning us of the false teachers, but he's also looking at us and he's saying, don't you become like them. Don't you become driven to be rich. How do you learn contentment in a discontented world? First, be careful who you're listening to. Second, consider your cravings. Think about it. Who am I listening to and what is it I am craving? What is it that drives you every day? Do you wake up every day wondering what you can only do if God gave you more? Or do you wake up every day pondering the goodness of God because he has given you all that you need? John Piper, he tells of how John Wesley knew that godliness with financial gain would never be enough. Godliness that leads to financial gain would never be enough. But godliness with contentment was, would truly satisfy. You see, John Wesley, he was one of the greatest evangelists of the 18th century, and this eventually led to a good income for him. 
At the beginning, John Wesley would limit his expenses so that he would have more money to give to the poor. And in the first year of earning an income, he earned 30 pounds. But he found that his expenses were only 28 pounds. So he gave those two pounds away. And the next year, his, well, his income doubled. And he was able to keep his expenses even at 28 pounds. So this year, he was able to give away 32 pounds, which was a comfortable income at the time. And on the third year, his income had jumped to 90 pounds, allowing him to give away 62 pounds. Over his life, John Wesley's income rose as high as 1,400 pounds in one year, but he rarely let his expenses be above 30 pounds. He said that he seldom had 100 pounds in his possession at any time. This brought about suspicion among the tax commissioners. And in, 19, in 1776, he was investigated because they said, this man must have silver dishes that he's not paying tax on. And John Wesley, he wrote to them saying, I have but two silver spoons at London and two in Bristol. This is all the plate I have at present, and I shall not buy any more while those around me want bread. And when he died in 1791, at the old age of 87, that he was able to make this income over his life, nothing was mentioned in his will about his finances except for the coins he had in his pockets and sitting in his drawer. Most of the 30,000 pounds he had earned over his life had been given away. And he wrote this. He said, I cannot help leaving my books behind me whenever God calls me hence. But in every other respect, my hands will be my executors. Wesley knew that he brought nothing into this world. And when it came to the end of his life, there was going to be nothing he can take with him. The same goes for you and me. Whenever they preach our funerals, which all of us are going to die, there may be a curious friend that will walk up and will ask, saying, do you know what he left behind? To which the response for all of us is going to be the same. Everything. Everything. There is nothing you can take with us. You brought nothing into the world. There's nothing you can take with you. Material gain is just consumable, but spiritual gain, that's eternal. Now, my point this morning is to not give you a number, all right? We can, we can convert the pounds to the dollars and then from 1700s. To not, no, my point is to not give you an amount because John Wesley also preached in the sermon, well, Christians should, they should gain all they can and save all they can and give all they can. You see, the passage here doesn't have a dollar amount in mind. The, the focus isn't how much in assets you should be able to accumulate. No, the focus here is the minimum of what we need to where we can be content. A dollar amount is not in view here, but a content heart, that is what is the focus here. Be careful who you listen to. And also consider your cravings. If like the false teachers, if your craving is to be rich, then Paul says, watch out. Because you too will fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that will plunge you into ruin and destruction. This is serious stuff here. Paul says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Be warned that through this craving, some have wandered away from the faith and they have pierced themselves with many pangs. Do you want to learn how to be content in a discontented world? We must ask, what are we listening to? And then we must truly consider our cravings. Maybe you find this morning, in thinking about these things, that you've been controlled by the desire of money. Maybe money has been what has motivated you in your decisions as much as you can tell up to this point in your life. You've considered the cravings and you realize, you know, this is why I'm discontent. 
This is why I am however old you are right now, and I am not satisfied. Could it be I've been listening to the wrong voices? Could it be I have been craving the wrong things? What do I do now? Thankfully, Paul doesn't leave us hanging, but he's going to tell us exactly what to do. Verses 11 through 16. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and to Jesus Christ, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment and stain from free from approach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be eternal dominion forever. Amen. Being out here in these mornings with the sun coming down and the grass is mowed on Thursday, so there's usually still some grass clippings. I love the smell of the dew getting burned off of the grass early in the morning as we're here setting up and even still gathering right now. It reminds me of, uh, reminds me of high school football. It reminds me of being in the three-point stance, and I was always taught that the lower man wins. And if you played football and you've been on the line like I was, you know that the lower man always wins. So you're going to find yourself on the grass, eating grass, Definitely smelling grass. I spent a lot of time on the grass. I'll leave it up for your imagination whether I was winning those battles or not. But I played for the Pell City Panthers in 1998, and I was on the kickoff return team. First game of the season, therefore the first play of the season. We lost the coin toss, the coin toss, and they elected to receive, or they elected to kick, therefore we were receiving. And I stood on the 50-yard line, my first game ever. You can practice hitting your own teammates. We had practiced it many times, but there's nothing like the first time that ball is kicked and you hit someone or they hit you that you've never met before. I'm lined up on the 50-yard line, and it was time for the kickoff. And the moment that ball was kicked, I knew my orders. We had practiced it many times. I was to retreat with the rest of my team all the way to the backfield to the one who would receive our ball. And I knew that I was to outrun that man who was on the opposing 40 just 10 yards away from me because as soon as that ball was kicked, I'm running from him and he's coming after me. So if you've considered your cravings this morning and you're finding your eyes are being opened and you see, uh-oh, I'm on the 50-yard line here and the ball is being kicked and they're coming after me. And you realize you've been living a discontented life, what do you do? Paul tells us you flee. You run from them because they're coming after you. You flee. Who have you been listening to? Is it false teaching? Flee. What is it you have been craving? Is it riches of this world? Then flee. Run away from these people. Run away from their influences. But notice what Paul says to do after you flee. He quickly, in just a few words, he says, turn, fight, take hold of, keep. Back on that humid September night, 1998, my first high school football game, I began the game running for my life, fleeing. But then I knew in a matter of seconds, it was time to turn. Whenever I stood with my brothers, the rest of the teammates, it was time for us to turn. And we had a different goal. We had something else in our sight. And we were to run to the end zone all the way, protecting 
our guy with the ball. After a time of fleeing, ready or not, it was time to turn. It was time to fight. It was time to pursue. It was time to take hold of and keep. Part of learning to be content in a discontented world, no doubt, first we have to flee the desires of the world. But then Paul says we turn. We pursue righteousness and godliness, faith and love. We pursue steadfastness and gentleness. And it's hard to do these things if you're being influenced by false teaching of the world and you're craving the material things of the world. How do you learn to be content in the discontented world? First, be careful who you listen to. Second, consider your cravings. And point number three, the last one, confess Christ. Listen here, those who confess Christ, and my prayer is that is all of you this morning, those who confess Christ will be conformed to the image of God's Son, namely Jesus Christ. And on that human night in Alabama, I stood with the Panthers. I followed the coaching of the Panthers. I fought for the Panthers. I cared for and protected Panthers because I was a Panther. And maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, I don't know if I'm a child of God because I'm starting to realize I've been listening to people I shouldn't be listening to. I've been craving things I shouldn't be craving. And your eyes are open. You're on the 50-yard line and you're saying, I'm not satisfied. I've never been satisfied and now I know why. Maybe it's because you haven't yet confessed Christ. Just this morning, maybe you've thought about who it is you're listening to. Maybe you realize you've had the wrong cravings, but now I want you to know it is time for you to confess Christ. And I want you to know when you do, you're going to turn and you're going to have your brothers and sisters standing with you, Grace Community Church. You can turn and trust Jesus this morning because God has first turned his wrath toward you through his only son so that he could take the punishment that you and I deserve for our sin. This morning when you turn, you can pursue Christ because he has pursued you in sending his son Jesus to come to this earth to save you from the wrath of God. He's pursued you to the cross, through the grave, and I want you to know he's coming back again. And when he does, he will receive you. And he will eternally satisfy you. You can fight for godly this morning godliness this morning because God will put the Holy Spirit within you that will give you strength. You can take hold of Jesus this morning because he will also take hold of you and he is going to keep you. He will never let go of you. Whenever the sun burns out that's up above us right now, you will still be with Christ, completely satisfied in him. But maybe you say, I have confessed Christ. But now I'm thinking, maybe I haven't been listening to the right voices. Maybe I've begun to crave what I shouldn't be craving. Maybe you've slipped into a season of discontentment and you know it's wrong. If so, then flee the teaching and the treasury of this world that is after you. Keep the commandments of Christ and continue following him, being conformed to the image of Christ until the glorious appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, and he will be displayed at the proper time. He who is blessed and sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. Talk about being on the winning team. Now those last few verses, that's who I want to be with. Talk about being on the winning team. 
the world they consider winning being accumulating more and more assets. But you see, they're pursuing the wrong objective. It's like, it's like the kid who plays Monopoly, and he just gets all the money he can, and he holds his money, but he doesn't steward it what it's for. Time's going to tell he's going to lose. Because holding on to what you have isn't winning. There's no way around it. God's ways are not man's ways, and only God's ways can lead to great gain. Only God's ways can, win, can lead to winning because God's ways lead to godliness but with contentment. We've been reading through the Chronicles of Narnia and we finished The Magician's Nephew a few nights ago. And C.S. Lewis writes in The Magician's Nephew about Aslan and uh, how Aslan sent Diggory out of Narnia. If you're familiar with this story, he sends Diggory, this boy, out of Narnia to the Western world to retrieve an apple. And Aslan would use this apple whenever Diggory would bring it back to plant a tree in Narnia, which would keep this wicked witch away for many years. But as Diggory arrives on a flying horse, Fledge is his name, and he approaches the gate where the apple tree is in the Western world, he reads an inscription on the gates that say this, Come in by the gold gates, or not at all. Take of my fruit for others, or forbear. For those who steal or those who climb my wall shall find their heart's desire and their despair. You see, Diggory walks up to the tree and he's tempted when he takes the apple to eat the fruit for himself. And he discovers nearby there's the witch having her feel. The temptation's resisted and Diggory takes the apple back to Narnia. And when he gives it to Aslan in an earth-shattering voice, Aslan says, well done. And then Lewis says that Diggory knew that all Narnians had heard those words and that his story would be handed down from father to son in that new world for hundreds of years, perhaps forever. But Diggory was in no danger of feeling conceited, for he didn't think about it at all now that he was face and face to Aslan. This time he found that he could look straight into the lion's eyes because he had forgotten his troubles and he felt absolutely content. While an apple may not be what you and I most desire this morning or tempted to grave, nevertheless, it's the riches of this world. But if what we most desire is God, and if all we have is given to him to whom it belongs anyway, it is then that we'll get to watch the Lord work in his ways. And we will finally be content forever. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for all that you've given us. Namely, your son Jesus to save us from our sin, from the wrath of God, the penalty of our sin. Father, thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit. Thank you for keeping us unto eternity. Father, we love you. And we pray that you will fill us up with the power of your Holy Spirit, that you will make us content that you will help us trust you. Lord, we know that will be for our good, but Lord, our aim is for your glory. And for that we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.